Hey there, Amy Porterfield here. Welcome back to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast. I'm so glad that you've tuned in today because we're going to talk about a concept that some of us, myself included, likely struggle with, the thinking that more is more. In particular, I'm talking about the products and services and programs that we offer to our potential customers and the content that we put out overall. So this may seem counterintuitive, but guess what offering more can do to your business? Make people click away. You heard me right. You may be causing people to click away from your website, from your webinar, from your blogs, from your videos meaning not purchasing, not giving you their name and email to opt in because you're giving them too many options. Too many options can cause decision fatigue. We are living in an age with options everywhere. If it takes too much brain power for someone to decide on something, they're out. It's your job to make it as easy as possible for your followers to make a decision a decision to sign up for your freebie or buy from you on a webinar or click a link in an email and check out your sales page or whatever it is that you have to offer. And how you do that is this. You must subscribe to the belief that less is more. So instead of thinking you've got to give them a bunch of stuff to get them to buy the more is more concept, instead you flip that on its head and you begin to operate from the place that less is more. You offer less options, but incredibly stellar, must-have-it type of offers, and your audience is much more apt to buy. You know how the concept of minimalism is such a hot topic right now? Have you seen the Marie Kondo show on Netflix, Tidying Up? So good, so addictive. So Marie goes into people's homes and uses her special decluttering method to help people embrace the idea of less is more by majorly minimizing and organizing their personal belongings. It's like pure heaven to me. I live for this stuff. So when you see the psychological benefits that come from the people who Marie helps, it's amazing. The decluttering ultimately gives people less options and they begin to live more active, engaged, and even healthier lives. They become better versions of themselves because they have room to make better decisions. So when any of us are bogged down by too many options or too much stuff all around us, we either walk away or click away or just shut down. My brand voice guide is my business's North Star when it comes to keeping all my business content and marketing content clear, consistent, and inviting. That's why I created the brand voice guide outline you wish you had sooner, which is a free resource to help your business experience the same as mine. So all you have to do is plug in your business details into the given outline that I've created that has all the essential components of a brand voice guide. So you don't even have to pay to get it created like I did. You can plug in your information and you'll be well on your way to having a cohesive voice across all brand assets. And I've even shared my own brand voice guide with you so you can use it as a reference as you craft your own. It's like having a mentor right by your side. 
So go to amyporterfield.com forward slash voice guide to grab your copy of the brand voice guide outline you wish you had sooner. And I can promise you, you're going to elevate your brand instantly. That's amyporterfield.com forward slash voice guide. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I think Marie Kondo and I are soulmates because I'm a total minimalist when it comes to material possessions. Okay, for the record, if Hobie was sitting with me right now, he would remind me that I have probably seven pairs of sunglasses because one time on a walk with Scout, I told Hobie, I said, I think I could become a minimalist. And he's like, babe, you have seven pairs of sunglasses. That's just never going to happen. And I said, okay, there's some areas of my life where I couldn't. But when it comes to most things, I've got it nailed down. You should see my junk drawer. I have one pair of scissors, a simple notepad, a few pens, and a flashlight. Because Hobie believes that there needs to be a flashlight in every freaking drawer of our house. I I don't know what this is about, but it's the truth. But that is all I have in there, and it's been like that for a full year, and I'm very proud of it. Overall, and you could ask anybody on my team, they know this, or any of my girlfriends, I don't have a problem at all with getting rid of anything unnecessary in the material possession area. But where I can get stuck, like I know many of you can get stuck as well, is understanding the fine line of where less is more in terms of content, whether that be weekly content that you deliver on your blog or podcast or video show or course-specific content for all my course creators, shout out to my DCA students. So let me tell you, understanding this fine line is an art form. So I think it's a good practice to ask yourself the question, can I offer less to make the decision-making process easier for my audience? I've got three foolproof steps to share with you today that will help you with narrowing down the options you present to your audience. To shed some light on this idea of less is more, I want to tell you about an experiment that was done back in 2000, but still so very valid, that showed that if a person is given too many choices, he or she is actually less likely to buy. My goal for you is to take the findings on consumer behavior from the study and use it to help increase conversions in your business. Because I feel as though we can pull inspiration from so many different areas, in this case, a specific study that you can then apply to, let's say, creating a digital course or creating some options on your website or whatever it might be. So I'm going to break down the study for you. But first, as always, I want to share a listener review with you from Never Give Up 99, who left me a review on iTunes and said, Amy's podcast is full of actionable content every week. The freebie downloads with the more complex episodes make it easy to follow through on the advice she and her guests provide the audience. First of all, I love your name, Never Give Up 99. Yes and yes. And thanks for your kind words. I literally love when somebody says they love that I have actionable content on my podcast. I feel like that's the way that I can stand out in the sea of podcasts when I give you step-by-step or really actionable, I said the word actionable weird, right? But I'm, I'm getting into it, really actionable steps that you can take and do something with. So never give up 99, shout out to you and thank you so much. All right, let's get to it. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's talk about this concept of less is more when it comes to your content. 
Why should you consider narrowing down the choices you offer your customers so you can sell more? Well, I take it back to that experiment I promised to tell you about. It was called the JAM experiment. So back in 2000, a couple of psychologists did a study in a fancy supermarket where they set up a table of 24 different types of gourmet jams. Anyone that sampled the jams was given a dollar coupon off of any purchase of any of the jams. So on another day, they set up a similar table, but this time they only displayed six different types of jam. Remember, the previous one was 24. The results from the study were that the larger display with the 24 varieties of jam had more people coming over to take a look and sample. However, they were one-tenth as likely to actually purchase versus the people who saw the smaller display of six different types of jam. Less options presented equaled more sales. Now, there have been many similar studies done with different types of foods and snacks and beverages and other products that showed the same customer behavior. So how do we take what those psychologists learned about consumer behavior in a grocery store setting and use it to increase the success of your online business? Well, let's talk. Number one, I want you to understand that too many choices can overwhelm your potential customer, which means they may click away. They'll click away from purchasing or even click away from your free content because the variety of options just doesn't make their next step clear. I'm learning this a lot with my Digital Course Academy audience and creating that product back in October for our January launch. What I learned is that I always need to make sure that my students or just my audience in general, they know their next step. So, okay, Amy, you gave us all this content. What do I do next? Because you gave us a lot of ideas, a lot of things to work with. What do I do next? And the more you can answer that question in your free content, in your videos, in your courses, all of it, if you can give someone their marching orders That is what they're looking for, and they're more likely to get results when they know what is their next clear step. So I've talked about decision fatigue on the podcast before, and this is a prime example of that. Too many options equals too much brain power needed to make a decision. And we talked about this with Donald Miller. I'm going to link to his episode because there's some similarities here around the brain power and people having to think really hard to make the decision and get the results. So I'm going to link to that episode because every time I think about using a lot of brain power, I think of what Donald Miller taught in that podcast episode. Plus, it was one of the podcast episodes that people tell me was their very favorite. So. Shout out to Donald Miller. I love you, and I think you're a genius. Okay, so moving on. Human nature is to take the easier route and move on, especially when it's not a life or death situation. So a potential customer moving on because you've put too many options in front of them or too much information in front of them will be the death of your online business, but it can be avoided. So I want to make that distinction right here. I'm talking about too much content, too much information, not just too many options to make a decision. It it all kind of comes together here. So if you were going to write 
a blog post or do a podcast episode and you were all over the place. You didn't have a good flow to it. I'm always about the flow. That's why I do a lot of step-by-step and a lot of numbered action items in a podcast. Because if somebody can't follow along, if they feel like it's all over the place, I know I'm super judgmental in this. I'm going to tell you because I'm this year, you know, my goal was to let you know a little bit more about me, the the good, bad, and ugly. But where I'm really judgmental, but I just can't help myself, is that when somebody says, yeah, it's just going to be a conversation. We don't need an outline. We're just going to jump on and, and talk about stuff. It's going to be great. I know the the good part of an interview like that is the realness and the casual feel of it. And I get that. That's why you've probably noticed over the last year of my podcast, I'm definitely more casual with how I talk to you guys and and how I present the content. And it's not as polished as it used to be, and that's all good. However, when you listen to an interview that rambles, that really doesn't get to any point whatsoever, you are walking away with not a lot of value most times zero value. And I literally turn off those podcast episodes. Like there's no flow to this. There's no rhyme or reason. And I definitely don't think you're going to send me off with my marching orders. I'm out. So you might be different than me. You might like to be a fly in the wall and just hear conversations that kind of ramble. I don't know why you would, but we're different in that case if you do. But I believe that when you are the guide, as Donald Miller says, when you are teaching something then spend a little time on the flow and make sure that you are delivering value and there's a clear start, middle, and end. And then I think we all can get better at giving our audience their marching orders so they know the next clear step. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox right now because I know that's one of my soapboxes. I can't help but just jump on and get the megaphone. But I do believe Those off-the-cuff, casual conversations that people say they're having on their podcast are rambling and confusing and are not offering a lot of value for the most part. So there you go. Okay, moving on. In my latest course, Digital Course Academy, there were several times where I had to really think, is creating another lesson in this module or adding to it going to help my students move forward? Or is it just one more piece of content, good content? That's the problem. We all have really great content we want to share, but is it a piece of content that doesn't need to be there for my students to reach the outcome I've promised them in my course? And I can't tell you how much content is enough or not enough. This is something that you have to stand in your confidence as a content creator around your specific topic, you are an expert. You have knowledge and skill in that topic. You have to decide. And I'm going to tell you right now that most likely you're offering too much. And we all do it. I've so been guilty of this. But when I created Digital Course Academy, I was diligent about this. I was asking the questions all the time. Are we offering too much? Are we confusing people? And if we need to add more, how can we do it in this less is more kind of way? So I have a content manager. Her name is Jill. And I probably told you guys this a few times. Jill lives in Asheville, North Carolina, and she came out to my house for a full week just to work on the outline of Digital Course Academy. And my students of DCA know that I say, you give yourself a full week 
to do your outline. Inside of my course, I've created something called the Porterfield Process for Outlining a Digital Course. Yeah, I named it after myself because this is something I've done for 10 years now, and I really perfected it for my DCA students. So I give them a guide. It's a juicy guide. Like It's pretty thick in terms of walking through the phases of outlining a digital course. Well, I practice what I preach. So Jill flew out, stayed at my house, which is rare. I don't typically do that because I'm a homebody and like to be alone all the time. But she stayed at my house and we often tease she's my sister wife because it was like you didn't even know she was there or she blended so well with our family that we're sitting on the couch like, oh my gosh, I feel like we've been family for years. Like Hobie's there with us and we're just a happy little family. So she is affectionately called my sister wife. But she came out for a week and we sat at the dining room table in my front room. You know, that room that nobody goes into and it just looks good. If you've got one, you know what I'm talking about. Well, we made that our home for an entire week and we sat there and we worked on this outline. And oftentimes we'd ask each other as we would come up with a new lesson for a module is what we're thinking about creating in this lesson too much. Will it overwhelm our students? Will it create anxiety for them? These are questions we would ask. Like, if I teach this, is this going to put them in a tailspin or what I call an entrepreneurial rabbit hole? Are we going to open up some loops that we can't close fast enough that they move on to the next lesson? So we constantly looked at each other and said, is this too much? And if we thought that it really needed to be in the course, We would say, okay, what is the next step in the process if we teach this and is it clear in this lesson? So if we thought, no, this has to be here, okay, then how are we going to transition into the next lesson without total overwhelm? And I'm always thinking about getting my students to the finish line. So for all my DCA students listening to this episode, I'm always thinking, how can I teach you this in the fastest way possible so that you keep going, move on to the next lesson? That is so important. So if I bog you down, you won't move on. I know it. And so I have to be so careful. And I also go through a lesson before I record it and I think, is there anything we can do to make this more clear? Does this make sense? So you might not be as fortunate right now in your business to have a Jill, my content manager. I didn't have a Jill until until a year ago, guys. I did all my content myself until a year ago. I got help with some podcast outlines and some content in general from my best friend, Gina. I've talked about her on the podcast before. She used to work with me at Tony Robbins. But ultimately, when I created my courses, that was all me. And so if you don't have a Jill in your business, which many of you do not, I want you to still look at your outline after you've done it and ask yourself, does anything feel heavy here? Is anything going to trip up my students? And if the answer is yes, you just got to go back and rework it. That's why I tell my students to give yourself a full week to do this, where you work on it, you come back, you work on it. We did many, many walks. I lost two and a half pounds that week because we just ate clean. We walked a lot to take breaks and we went to bed early every night and woke up early every morning. So I got eight hours of sleep. I went on probably three walks a day and we ate my mom's salad bar every single day for lunch. So yeah, it was a good week to say the least, but it was intense. So don't think that I'm saying that this is easy because our content is like our babies, right? Like we're birthing this content. We take 
every single piece of content seriously. If you are a true course creator, whether you're just starting out or you've been at it for a while, that course becomes your baby. And so it is hard to say, I'm not going to include this, but you're doing a disservice to your students when you do. Okay. So that's one area of just adding too much content and some questions you can ask yourself. Another example when creating Digital Course Academy where I chose to go with the less is more route, and this one's big. This definitely is directly related to decision fatigue and helping my students make a decision quickly. And that is for the first time, I decided to recommend only one core tool for course creation. And that tool happened to be Kajabi. So if you don't know Kajabi, you're going to fall in love with it. amyporterfield.com forward slash Kajabi, K-A-J-A-B-I. And many of you already know Kajabi, but some of you don't. So check it out. But Kajabi is an all-in-one marketing tool. They can be your email service provider. They can be your landing pages for list building. They can be your sales page. They can be your website. Yeah, they have a template for websites. And most importantly, why I started to use them is they are your course platform. They are the best in the best, in my opinion, as a course platform, meaning you load up all your content. It looks fantastic and it's protected by a password, username and password. And so anybody creating a course is going to need a course platform to protect their content and to professionally lay out their content so that people can navigate through it easily. So that's when I first started using Kajabi and then they've gotten better and better and better. And so I decided I'm going to give my students one tool. I'm going to recommend one tool. Now, just as a caveat, I do also recommend ConvertKit as an email service provider. So I tell my students Kajabi as an email service provider, but many of you also love ConvertKit and I support ConvertKit as well. I love them. So amyporterfield.com forward slash ConvertKit for an email service provider. So that is one little caveat, but overall throughout my entire course, you will hear me talk about Kajabi, Kajabi, Kajabi. Now I need to tell you something. It was a very hard decision to do that. Because I know there are a lot of other great tools out there, and I know that there are pros and cons to every tool. Kajabi's not perfect. They'll be the first to tell you that, but they're pretty dang sophisticated in doing everything that I want my students to do to build their platform, to build their course, and to launch. And so coming up with the decision to say, all right, I'm going to put a stake in the ground was a big deal. And the reason I did it is because I wanted to make it easier for my students to keep moving forward. And if I gave them three, four, five, six options to choose from, which I've done in the past, it just slows them down. And because I want to be their guide, their go-to source, their business coach, I know that they're going to look at me and say, okay, me, but what do you recommend? What do you use? I use Kajabi. So I just thought, I'm just going to start there and end there. Now, here's the thing, and this is important for you all to hear. My students can use a different platform and still get immense value from my program. So I made sure that I created a program that would work with any platform. I I created a program that teaches tried and true course creation and course launch strategies, no matter what tool you're using. So it wasn't about the tool. It's just that I know they need a tool to make it all work. So I suggested one. 
And so that made it easier for me to add how-to videos in my course and bring in Kajabi to answer questions. They're in my community answering questions. So it's just a really great relationship. And it allows me to have a relationship with them that they actually created templates that were based on my own opt-in pages and sales pages and webinar registration pages. So they worked with me and said, okay, me, your students are going to want to use what you use. So let's take your opt-in page for your webinar, your webinar registration page. Let's take that and make a template in Kajabi and your students can actually use that template. And I'm like, bring it on. And that took a lot of back and forth, a lot of work, but it was worth it. So creating relationships with the tools you use or the products that you recommend, especially if you put a stake in the ground and only recommend a few to your students, it's really cool to have those relationships. I can call up Kajabi at any time and they're like, how can we help? And I love that. And of course, I'm an affiliate for them. That goes without saying, right? We all know that. And there's a reason for that. I use them and I believe in them. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you that if you could narrow down your recommendations to your students, you are seen even more so as their go-to guide because you're not just someone with a bunch of opinions and saying, go try out these five or six different ideas. No, you're saying, here's the one that I think you should use. I believe that's more powerful as long as what you're recommending, you've gotten results with it or a lot of your students have gotten results with it. Cool? So step into that. I wish I did that a whole lot longer ago. That's a really great way to say that whole lot longer ago. Anyway, I'm not editing that out because we're just rolling with it, but you get the picture, right? I wish I did this a long time ago is what I meant. Okay, moving on. So right about now you're saying, okay, me, I hear you, but how do you ever figure out this fine line of giving enough, but not too much? And I've got three foolproof steps Of course I do, right? I've got three foolproof steps to validate the options you're offering so you can find the right balance for your audience. So get out a pen and paper. Let's do this. Step number one, you listen to your customers. I know, I know you've heard this a lot, but just hear me out here. As entrepreneurs, we have the tendency to think we have such great ideas. I do this too. And we go ahead and we get right to work on completing something that our customers have not even told us that they want. If it's not something they want, it's providing too many options for them. I'm going to say that again. If your audience never really told you they want what you're creating, then you're likely just creating too many options for them. We need to be very intentional about listening to our customers and see what they're asking for. So how do we listen? You see what they're saying in the comments on social media, whether that's on your own social media or on the social media post of your competitors or other people that are aligned with what you're doing. I do Facebook Live Q&As all the time for my students, and I keep an eye out for certain questions that continue to come up or frustrations that I see that I could solve. If you listen closely, your audience will tell you exactly what they want. And if you've never heard them ask for something you're creating right now, hold off. Let's go back and let's figure out if this is something they really want. 
my DCA students, you know you have the whole validation process in the course. And for those of you who are not in Digital Course Academy, I hope you join us in September when we launch again. But for those of you who are not, just start out with listening to your audience. They will tell you what they want. Step number two, you carefully watch your audience's behavior. So where do you see conversions taking place? Where are they not taking place? Where can you narrow the options you offer down through your own market research? I was on Facebook Live with my students the other day, and a student said that their freebie just wasn't getting any opt-ins, even though they were sharing it on their blog and on Instagram and Facebook and in their emails. They were frustrated because there were no takers. And she asked me where she was going wrong. And I told her that this showed that her audience was just not that into the freebie. They didn't want it. And yes, this might feel like a little tough love, but when you're putting it out there and you're talking about it and nobody's opting in, they're just not that into your freebie. And that's okay. Side note, any Sex in the City fans out there, are you thinking about Burger talking to Miranda right now and he tells her that the guy is just not that into her? If you were, you are my soulmate because that's what I just thought of when I said that. Okay, back to our lesson here. So with that, it doesn't mean that all is lost. She just needs to create a new freebie. So she really needs to listen to her audience and change things up. Maybe changing the message around the freebie could work, but if it's not that, then she's just going to need to change that freebie up. And Once she does, she's going to learn some new things about her audience and she will eventually get it right. Here's the business lesson. As long as she doesn't give up, as long as she keeps trying with a few different freebies, she'll nail it. I had a talk with a woman the other day where she was saying she believed that you have to first create your course before you ever create a course-related freebie, a freebie to get people to sign up for your list so you could eventually sell them the course. So she said, Amy, I think you need to create your course first because you can never figure out a really good course-related freebie if you don't. And I said, I do not agree with that. You always should create a course-related freebie, a freebie that would attract people that would eventually want your course. That's what I mean by a course-related freebie. You must create that before you create your course because you must be list-building while you're creating your course. You want to have a list. It doesn't have to be big, but you want to have a list when you launch. So creating your course and building your list has to happen at the same time. But I did tell her, I get what you're saying, because once your course is created, you can then create a brand new freebie that's even better. Because once your course is created, it's so much simpler to create a laser-focused course-related freebie because you know exactly the kind of thing that will attract somebody to your course because your course is done. But that doesn't mean you don't start somewhere. And that's what my student needs to do. She just needs to experiment with a few freebies. So just know that it takes a little trial and error, and that's okay. But the lesson here is to listen to what you're your audience is telling you, but then watch their behavior. If they're not opting in for your freebie, let's either change the messaging around the freebie and see if that works. And if not, change up the freebie. Good? Okay, so moving on to the third and final step, and that is you cannot fear pivoting when necessary. I want you all to hear this because this is something that I think 
we all do. We, we fear changing direction. Now, I am not talking about changing direction to chase the next shiny thing. You know the difference, right? So if you're doing the whole squirrel, squirrel kind of thing, that ain't what I'm talking about. You know how I feel about that. However, if you're noticing patterns or trends with your audience and you look, if you took an honest look at your business, you would see what people are responding to the most. Like for me, list building, like my audience needs more concrete step-by-step list building strategies so that when they get into DCA or when they join my mastermind or coaching or whatever I do, they have a solid foundation for list building. I see that. I know that's what they're asking for and that's what I want to focus on. And so if you pay attention, you know where it's at. And funny enough, I've been having this overwhelming feeling about list building. Like I need to go bigger with that. I want to rework List Builders Lab. I want to do more free content around list building, but more step-by-step, like here's where you start. Here's what you do in the middle. Here's where you end because my students just need a roadmap more so than ever. And List Builders Lab is that. So you can check amyporterfield.com forward slash list building out for a free webinar that will tell you about my List Builders Lab program. But my point here is that I started to feel this and see the activity around list building and the questions and, and the, the tr- pattern of these list building questions and list building wins inside of my programs. Like people were talking about list building so much. And then Chloe told me the revenue that we've made from list builder lab. And I was blown away. It's in the millions since creating it. And I had no idea. However, just looking at the trends already told me that. So I shouldn't have been surprised, although you're always surprised when the revenue is more than you think. But then right there, I thought, okay, the revenue proves people are buying List Builders Lab even more so than I knew, but also the questions they're asking. And when they share their wins, it's about my list grew by a hundred people this week. Like that's what they're excited about. What are they excited about? So when you look at what they're saying, you look at their behavior, you identify the trends. And when you do, you make it a point to pivot if needed. And pivoting here, when I talk about it, here's what I mean. I'm saying you do more of what's working, less of what's not working. And by less, I mean you cut it out. You don't do it anymore. We are online marketers, which means we have unique needs. And there are so many options out there for paid media. Sometimes it's hard to figure out where should you go to reach your ideal audience. But here's the thing. Have you thought about LinkedIn ads? LinkedIn ads empowers marketers with solutions for you and your customers, and it allows you to build the right relationships and drive results and reach your customers with meaningful content. You do not want to sleep on LinkedIn ads. And here's the thing, 79% of content marketers said LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. I hear it from so many of my peers, and I know you're doing important work. And with that, you want to make sure that the work you're doing is getting in front of the right people. And that's what LinkedIn ads will allow you to do. So let your marketing efforts connect with the right audience and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. So if you go to linkedin.com slash Amy, you can get that $100 credit. So that's linkedin.com slash Amy. Terms and conditions apply. 
If you look at my business, it's very clear. I do list building, course creation, and webinars. That is what I do. And there are tons of other things that my students ask me for. Okay, we got to talk about this and then I'm going to wrap it up. There are things my students ask me for, for sure, that I'm never going to do. And some people might say, you're crazy. Like recently, Rachel Hollis was on stage and she said, if your students ask you for something and they ask you and ask you and ask you, and let's say, or your customers or your audience, like 20 people in your audience are asking you for something and you don't do it, she says, you're an idiot. And when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Definitely. However, on the flip side of that, if they're asking me for something that's not my specialty, not my area of expertise, or not the direction I want to go, then instead of offering them that, I become an affiliate and offer it to them that way. So taking what Rachel Hollis said on stage about if your audience is asking you for something and you don't give it to them, you're an idiot. I I mean, I love her delivery, right? She only only Rachel can deliver it like that and you love her through it. So because she's so lovable. But when I heard that, I thought, well, I'm not going to offer everything my students ask me for. It will take me off my game. And to bring it back to what this topic is all about, it will ensure that I'm offering way too much. And I know I've got to do an episode about the Ascension model or Ascension ladder, which is basically the journey your students take with your products and services. I know I've got to do that down the road, but I like to keep that clean and simple. I like few products and I like to dig deep with them. And so when somebody asks you for something that doesn't mean you need to create it, instead, that could mean you become an affiliate and you promote it. So examples in my world, because one of my promises to all of you is to take you behind the scenes with me, B-School is a perfect example. I don't teach the whole foundational piece of building an online business, B-School does. That's why I go full force, treat it like it's my own program when I launch it. Number two, Kajabi. I am never, although I should never say never, I cannot imagine. I feel like hell will freeze over when this happens. I'm never building software or applications or anything like that. I can't even imagine that would be me. So with that, I promote Kajabi. My students ask me, Amy, what platform should I be using? I'm not going to create the software, but I sure as heck am going to find somebody that I can recommend. So if your students keep asking you for stuff, do not just create it because they're asking. You ask yourself, where would this fit in into what I want to offer? And if it doesn't, who's doing it best? And can I be an affiliate? That's the best affiliate relationship when you believe in the product, but also your students are asking for it. So that's a little side note bonus that's not in my notes right now. If Jill, my content manager, listens to this, she's like, you're going rogue. You're going off our outline. But I felt like it was important that I shared that with you. So there you go. Okay, so there you have it. Now, I want to give you your marching orders, your next clear step. See how I did that? So the thing I want you to do in the next 48 hours is I want you to do a 15-minute brainstorming session. Open up your notebook if you are a pen and paper kind of girl or guy like me, or open up a Google Doc. And I want you just to write down what you offer. And I want you just to brain dump the packages, the offers, the different kind of topics you talk about. What does it all look like? And if you're just starting out, it might just be a lot of different content topics. And if you have some products and services, write them all down. 
But I want you to get clear on what your offers look like in terms of free, like freebies, list builder type lead magnets, all of that. Freebies, content, topics, packages, products, services, programs, whatever it might be. And then I want you to ask yourself, does this feel like too much? And I want you to ask yourself, if someone saw this, would it be clear what I was known for? Because we're going to be talking about that in the coming podcast. I've got some ideas for podcast episodes about how to get really clear about what you're known for. Like, I don't think it's any question in the market that I am known for creating courses and doing webinars or teaching webinars. What are you known for? And if you're not known for something yet, what do you want to be known for? And I mean concrete stuff. I don't mean you're going to be known for making change in the world and uh, loving people and making an impact. Yeah, that is all important. And I hope I'm known for making an impact and loving people up and taking care of them, all my students. I don't mean that. I mean concrete strategy, content, topics. What are you known for? And if you find out that it's very confusing, then it's time to clean things up. And from there, go through these three steps and just ask yourself, am I listening to my customers? Am I watching for my audience's behaviors? And am I willing to clean things up, make a pivot, do more of what's working, less of what's not? Let's take baby steps here. So first, let's just do the brain dump. And then start to think about what you want to be known for, and then start to think about how you can clean things up. From there, choose one thing to clean things up. That will give you momentum. And that is what I want to see from you. I want to see momentum in this area. So clean one thing up at a time. We'll continue this conversation. I'll create more content around this idea of simplicity and less is more and the ascension ladder, which if you don't know what that is, you can look it up, but we're going to talk about that in the future. So I got to get on that. I got to create an outline so that we have a good flow and we can have a good conversation because you know, that's my thing. All right, guys, let's wrap this up. Okay, so there you have it. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, do so because I hinted at some really good episodes that are coming up and you do not want to miss it. So no matter where you listen, hit that subscribe button and you won't miss a thing. Also, let me tell you about what's coming up next week. One of my favorite mentors, somebody that I talk about on the show a lot, Michael Hyatt, is on the show talking about a productivity system that he's created to achieve more by doing less. Very appropriate following today's episode, right? We'll talk about his new book, Free to Focus, and I'll talk about specific strategies you can use to zero in on where you should and should not be focusing your efforts. This episode is going to be so good, you do not want to miss it. Okay, guys, I'll see you here same time, same place next week. Bye for now.